Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. This morning, good. I've got some good things to share with you. A couple of, one thing now, and then at the end, we're going to take about 10 minutes and get an update on church planting and what's going on in that. And so at the tail end of the service, we're going to um, give an update for you there. Now, growth. Growth is a good thing in a church. We have some growth issues that we're working on and, and just trying to continue to adapt to. Um, in children's ministry, God, I don't know if you've noticed, but God has like blessed this church to go forth and multiply. I don't know what's going on. He took God seriously in that. And so we have kids like crazy in our children's ministry, and that's good. Um, as we look at that and as we continue to expand and and deal with our growth issues, uh, we've set a tentative date to expand our children's ministry to both first, second, uh, sorry, first and second service. So during both of those services, offering children's ministry, uh, which is a neat thing. It allows us to balance out some of the overload that we're experiencing during second service. Last week during this service, as they're back there trying to make disciples, equipping parents and pouring into kids, sharing the gospel with them, they had 76 kids back in those little rooms. That's a lot of kids. And that's good. We love it. But we're trying to get some balance in that then between first and second service. So the, the uh, kindergarten and first grade class, you've seen those rooms. They had, this does not include the teachers, 20 kids in that room, sorry, 23 kids in that room last week. Then the other class, the uh, second and third grade class that was just bursting at the seams, had 21 kids plus the teachers in there. So we need to balance that out a bit, and uh, we're, we're excited about that as God's brought new people. He's also brought servant leaders, and some of you may be called into that. So here's what I'm asking of our church body. February, uh, what did we have? February 16th is the kickoff date for that. That's five weeks from today. We are looking for a number of 10 to 15 people who would say, I can serve in that area. I could follow the Lord into serving in that particular area. If it were couples, that would only be five couples who say that. In children's ministry, you serve every other week, about twice a month. You can still serve in children's ministry and come to a service. So you would go serve in one of those and still come to a service. So you get a part of both of those things. God uses our children's workers back there in great ways. I asked first service for some of their people without kids to consider switching to this service. First service is the service that's like almost every chair is taken. By the way, you guys keep throwing us off every school year. It's like you flip, which is going to be the larger service. And now it's first service, but uh, you guys are in the, the one where you get a little elbow room. But, but first service is packed. So we're asking some of them to come to this service and some of you with children to come to the other service, to first service. And have your children in, in children's ministry during that to balance out our numbers uh, in that children's ministry area. So rather than just going, oh, somebody else is going to do that. Would you prayerfully consider, is that something you could do to help us strategically continue to make disciples in our children's ministry area? And uh, that would be a blessing to us. Well, we're going to switch gears here and get into our message today. We've been in a series where, that we're titling a series of questions. 
And back at the end of last year, I, I posted a whole bunch of questions online and allowed you a chance to go on and say, here are some of the things I'm interested in, difficult questions of the faith, hard things to wrestle through and, and consider and chew on. And as we go through this, I'm really thankful because we don't need to be afraid of hard questions. God isn't afraid of your hard questions. In fact, I think God welcomes your hard questions. I think the church needs to welcome those hard questions. I will admit it's, it's a hard series to go through and, and work through, but God does guide us and provide counsel. And that's a blessing that his word transforms us and changes us. So I'm about to do something in the room that's going to change the tone of this room. Watch what I can do. Put the question on the screen. A Christian response to politics. What, what's a Christian response to politics? I'm actually excited to preach about this today because I think the Lord has, has some good direction for us in this. And you'll see what I mean in just a minute. I don't know what's wrong with me, though. I was talking to uh, some pastor friends this week, and one of them talked to me on the side, and he's like, man, are you like a glutton for punishment? You're going after this series, and week after week, you're taking these hard questions like this. And, uh, you know, two things about that. One of them is this. It's actually in some of these questions, and in looking at how the church comes together on this one, that the glory of God is what shines out. Because... What happens in, in our faith is we come to the gospel. It transforms everything. And we're not about donkeys and elephants. We're about another animal, a lamb, the lamb of God. And it brings us to that point. You'll see that today, what we're going towards in this. The other thing is this, is that even though some would say, oh, just be quiet about that in church, or others would be like, come on, talk, proclaim it. I've got the message for you. I'll tell you what it is. I mean, I've heard it. But... The, the real thing is this, is that God, he's open to this. He's, it's nothing we need to free, fear or run away from. And so this is an emotionally, emotionally charged question on the screen. You have thoughts and emotions that are very charged up about this. But I'm going to ask you before we get into this, would you stop and would you pray a prayer that I've been praying all week? And it's a prayer for humility. That the Lord could speak to you, that you would receive from what the Lord wants to say this morning from his word and, and simply ask him for humility and to be centered around that lamb. So let's pray that silently and then I'll pray also. Lamb of God, you are the one we worship. And you are the one that we center and come around. And the gospel that you have proclaimed as the, the lamb who died for us trickles down into every part of life, including how we respond to issues going on all around us, how we process those, what we think about them, our involvement in them. And Lord, I pray that the gospel would have that very impact down into our lives. And so Lord, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the next couple of months, we're going to experience some things as a country, aren't we? It's going to be a ride. And it's going to be, uh, there's some things that we know will be guaranteed. We know it's going to be ugly. It will be like that. We know that fear will grip parts of our country. 
and different people in our country over different things, maybe including us in some ways. We know that also that fear will be used to gain power at times. We know that there will be people who will oversimplify very complex issues. We know, too, that there will be people who make great promises that they can never fulfill. There will be some good candidates. There will be some bad candidates. We know that we're going to watch people in our country divide over that. And that's going to be happening all around us. But we need to be very aware of the issue of this, that there is also a threat, just like that divide outside, to happen internally within the body of Christ. This sermon topic, or this question, was one of the most popular ones that you guys voted for. It was the most popular one. Uh, People have been talking to me about it, and as we've been processing and getting ready to come into it, one thing is very obvious at River of Life, and that's this, that we have people of both of the major parties in America. We have independence in our church at River of Life. And that is a healthy thing. We need both Democrats and Republicans and independents in the church. Do you realize that even in Jesus' own disciples, there were varying political thoughts? Uh, as he called his disciples to himself, I believe that Jesus was very intentional about who he was calling and the types of people that he was calling. And I think even in the selection of those disciples, consider Matthew. Matthew worked for the, the Roman government, collecting taxes for them. He was also intentional in selecting Simon the Zealot, who worked to overthrow the Roman Empire. Can you imagine their journey group meetings when they got together and had a powwow? At least they had Jesus as the leader, right? Journey group leaders. And so they got together. But can you believe having all of those types? But I think that within that, that group and that difference in some of those things actually helped to boost their allegiance to to God's kingdom. And it brought out the glory of God even more. And you'll see that today as we, as we look through this. I want you to know, no matter your political leaning in a party or anything like that, you're welcome here. We have the spectrum at River of Life. And I love that and I think it's healthy in a church. Politics are a part of life. Government is ordained by God. I believe that personally, personally, I believe that we should be involved in politics in different ways. It'll be to varying levels, but we should vote. We should engage in conversation. Christians should run for office. And, and I think that even within that, Christians, we ought to be in every place that we're allowed to be in. Why not be there? And that'll be varying degrees for people, but consider the things that God has done through Christians when it comes to politics. Take, for instance, the issue of slavery. William Wilberforce, many years back in the early 1800s, with the abolition of, of slavery in, in Great Britain, And what a powerful start that was to tipping some things that were unjust and not right. As as we moved into American history and we saw some of that, we saw Christians being part of the movement that changed American history when it comes to slavery. Although at the same time, we need to admit there were Christians who defended it. Trying to use the Bible for that, but probably largely driven by their pocketbooks, not by the word of God. And so we have to consider the things we look at biblical as we look at those things. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day and the fingerprints of the gospel are over some of those racial reconciliation issues that are still a part of, of what we deal with in our country today. 
I don't think we need to seal off our faith from our public life. I think those things can go together. Tim Keller offers a great perspective, though, that will stir the pot, but I think is a helpful starting point in considering some things when it comes to this because he brings out some truth that is important. And he says this, The Bible is general enough that you can be a Christian in either political party. We ought to have lots of Christians in both political parties. They should not be messianic about their own party, but should actually feel more solidarity with the Christians in the other party than even the people of just their same political opinion, meaning we're bonded by our unity in Christ. Uh, we should not look at the other party as the messianic, or sorry, it should say our party as the messianic one and the other party as that of Satan, which there are a, lot of, a lot of Christians are doing. You see, I think he has a point here. Being careful about just completely blanket stating things. One of the privileges that I have as a pastor, as an under-shepherd of God, is to point God's people to be in tune with Jesus himself. And it's an awesome thing within that. And it's really neat to be able to be a part of that. And I can press into this with joy because Jesus unites us around himself, not a political platform. He unites us around himself. As I've come into this, I've prayed a lot, I've studied a lot, and I've, I really want you to know that throughout this series, including this one, I want to approach it with humility. Not sharing simply my biased opinion, but really coming at what does the Word of God say. I want it to be helpful. I've been praying that it would be unifying for our church. And Tim Keller's been a great resource for me. Andy Stanley's been a great resource for me as I've looked at these things. And I would pray, and I'm praying that our hearts are tuned to God when it comes to this message. And here's what, I've, what I'm coming at you with. I'm not coming to share what to think in politics. I'm coming to share how we look at politics. Some of you will say, Brian, you're just sidestepping the issues. No, I'm not. I'm taking you to the one that helps us in the what's. Because he's the one who can guide us and process, us, uh, process these things for us. You see, the Bible does some amazing things for us. If you are a reader of the Bible, you gain a perspective that you won't get anywhere else. And so believers, we have a gem in that that provides a perspective for us to see something. This fall, I went hunting, and it was really fun. And it was in a place I hadn't been before, but the guy that was leading us and guiding us, he took us along, and he wanted to go out before we, uh, well, he wanted us to show up the night before. We were going to camp, and then we were going to go out the next morning. I was a little nervous because I'd never hunted in this place. And if you go into a place in the dark, in the morning, with just headlights, it's so easy to get lost and completely lose your bearings and not know where you are. So he took me up to a vantage point up on a ridge where we looked out and he goes, we're going to go down and up and down. We're going to go up and over these ridges and we'll be over there tomorrow morning when the sun comes up. And so this is north, this is south, that's east, that's west. And he pointed all the directions to me and helped me. I did that wrong. East, west. But... But anyways, I didn't get lost, and I am here this morning. So, thank you, GPS. But anyways, it painted a picture, a perspective. 
Guys, scripture does the exact same thing for us. It pulls out a paintbrush and it throws these broad brush strokes up. And we have to be aware of these as believers. Because they provide our bearings for us when it comes to things like politics. It applies to many things, but these broad brushstrokes. Three of them that I'm going to look at here is time, sovereignty, and kingdoms. The issue of time, the broad brushstroke of time. As God pulls that out, what does he do in scripture? From the very beginning of creation, it's spoken of. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But God transcends time. He's not locked into time. And so in Psalm 90 verse 2, we read uh, this. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God has existed forever. He, what was he doing before creation? Well, he was existing, Scripture tells us, everlasting to everlasting in eternity. But it paints this picture. He was before and he's after time. And we get a picture into what is to come in the future. Beyond earth. Revelation 1.8 reads, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and to I- who is to come, the Almighty. In Isaiah 43.10, it records these words of God. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may also know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. God exists eternally outside of time. He's not bound by it. And it puts perspective in our life. We are but... Just a dot, just a tiny dot in that huge brushstroke of time. The things that we face are but a dot in that hugeness, in that vastness. That's a perspective. God brings out another brush, and I want to start by just sharing with you the story in Daniel chapter 2, this interesting story that paints a broad brushstroke about God's chosen people who had been brought into captivity by Babylon. These people, if there's any people, are deeply affected by the politics of their day. They've been captured, they've been hauled off, and they've been brought to a whole other place. Kings have, have overridden them. And so this king of Babylon is named Nebuchadnezzar. And he has a dream that troubles him. Fear was coming over him that his throne might not be as secure as he thought after this dream. You realize that power and fear are often closely connected. And fear at the loss of power. And people use fear to gain power. And he seeks to find, Nebuchadnezzar seeks to find a wise man who can interpret his dreams. So he locates Daniel. Daniel is an Israelite, part of a noble heritage. He is a wise man who's been gifted by God for this moment in history in order to interpret what's going on. He's a prophet. And he interprets what's going on in Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. But before he interprets the dream under the inspiration of the Spirit, he understands and he makes this big declaration about God that is so important for us to see. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, he paints a broad brushstroke when he says this, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might 
He changes times and seasons. And notice this. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. You see what Daniel, a man whose life is being deeply affected by the politics of his day, says is something that should not go unnoticed by us. He paints this broad brushstroke, huge brush of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. This word we would use, sovereignty, meaning that God rules and has authority over all things. And David knows that there's more going on than simply what he can see. There's far more happening. Israel is suffering, but God is still in control, even though they're going through a terrible season of life. In fact, Israel can't see what's happening, but they're being refined by Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is actually a player in God's hands to the refinement of Israel. And Daniel knows that there is a king who who isn't dominated or just the most dominant lowercase king, but instead he's the king of kings. And so he declares to Nebuchadnezzar a very bold thing when he says what we see on the screen. He he removes kings and he sets up kings. It's a prominent theme throughout the book that God is sovereign over the nations and all rulers in our world. And it gives us great hope and it gave the Israelites great hope and it gives us the vision to be able to see there's far more happening than you think is at play. Far more. That God is sovereign over kings and kingdoms and it's a mystery in some ways. But God in his wisdom rules over those things. And God's people long knowing that one day God will lead them home back to their land. But it's all about God's might. Don't miss this. It's explicit that he is in control of everything. Human politics. The meaning of the dream. Things that have not yet been disclosed in Daniel. God is wise. He he is all embracing of everything. He's unlimited. Nothing you see around you is outside of the control of God. Every ruler, every person that theme is painted throughout scripture. Romans 13, 1. There is no authority except God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. That means our mayor, Governor Polis, President Trump, Ayatollah Khamenei, Putin, Boris Johnson, or any other ruler you could think of, both local or international. And scripture paints this picture of the sovereignty of God over all nations and all rulers, all presidents, all governments, local and national. Nations will rise in our lifetime and they will fall in our lifetime. And we as people will be deeply affected by the politics going on in our world. But God's people, let me say something to you that scripture tells you over and over, over 200 times. You need not fear. You don't need to fear because of God's control and his sovereignty and his might. When you see in scripture, just an interpretation tip here. When you see in scripture repeated commands, they're not necessarily the most important commands of the Bible. Like is do not fear more important than the Great Commission? Um, I would say the Great Commission is probably way more important because that is totally the purpose of God. 
But God's most repeated commands are means of obeying God's most important commandments. And that's really important for us. It's really important for us when it comes to the issue of politics. It's really important for us when it comes to how, how we conduct ourselves that like we're going to talk about in a few moments. Let me mention something coming back to kids' ministry. Now, I've heard it said before, kids' ministry, I don't want to serve there. It's just child care. It's baloney. Child, it's not child care. It's discipleship. I mean, we're doing some amazing things in the kids' ministry. Uh, my wife knew what I was teaching about this week in the service and she said, you've got to see what the preschool curriculum is because she teaches that grade. And she said, you've got to see what it is. Look at what it says in the notes. They're learning the same thing, Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7. And it says this, emphasize to the preschoolers, you teach that they will see all sorts of rulers and powers and authorities in the world. But the Bible is clear. God is ruling over them all. The kingdom of earth will last only for a short time, but the kingdom of Jesus will come and it'll last forever. We're not doing fluff back in kids' ministry. I mean, they're getting good stuff. And so that's one more reason to serve back there. All of that, though, God's sovereignty leads me to the next broad brush stroke that provides perspective for us. And it's this, that God is bringing a kingdom, and it's his kingdom. He's bringing a kingdom, and it's his kingdom. Daniel, even in in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, begins to bring this out. When he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar, he informs him. And he says something that could be very offensive to Nebuchadnezzar, but he's bold in saying it. And he says that after all kingdoms fall, including Nebuchadnezzar's, that's part of the interpretation of the dream. And in the day of all those kings, after they've fallen, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It will stand forever. There's a broad brushstroke that is throughout all of Scripture talking about the kingdom of God. That there's a kingdom that God is bringing. And we as followers of Jesus belong to that kingdom. Our citizenship is found in heaven before it's found anywhere else. I'm first and foremost a citizen of that kingdom. In Mark chapter 12, there's a well-known story with Jesus and a couple of men who come to talk to him. What's just happened in this chapter is God, Jesus has walked into the temple and he's overturned the tables. It looks like he's in the temple courts. It looks like he's about to start an insurrection, a rebellion that's going to break out. He's driven the money changers out. And so two groups of people come to him from very opposite corners politically. Two people that probably would not get along, but they've just watched what happened. It's the, the, uh, the Herodians and the Pharisees. So the question they're trying to posed to him is one where they're trying to smoke out his politics. Hey, which side are you on? Which are you? And is he starting a, a revolution? Remember, Israel's occupied by Rome at this time. And so no one likes to live under oppression like that. So this one group, the Herodians, was a group of Jews who sympathized with Rome. They were a political party that wanted to restore Herod to the throne in, in uh, Judea. The other were the Pharisees. Against Rome, some of whom would have loved to see an overthrow of the government. So one sympathizes with Rome, one is against Rome. And they say this to Jesus. Teacher, we know, and listen to these things about Jesus. You're true. You don't care about anyone's opinions. For you are not swayed by appearance, but you truly teach the way of God. 
Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? What's happening here is this is a trap. If he says don't pay them, what's it look like he's doing? Like he's siding with the Pharisees who want to overthrow the government, possibly in an armed revolt. If he says pay them, it looks like he's siding with the Roman kingdom. And that's where he's coming down. And he's been talking about the kingdom of God for, for a long time here. Is he just blowing smoke about the kingdom of God? Verse 15 of that chapter. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to test? Just bring me a denarius. It's a small amount to pay this tax. It's a very small tax, but it represented the oppression of Rome over the people. And let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, it's Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. What made them marvel? Be dumbfounded in this moment. He's not going either direction. He's not pointing them towards political complacency or a primacy in politics. He's showing them that the main way that you deal with injustice in life is not with politics. And he declares by doing this a kingdom over Caesar's kingdom. Give to Caesar back to what is his. Back to him, what is his. You're going to have to deal with politics. Taxes are a part of our life. Things around politics are a part of our life. But he also declares something else. That he, Jesus, has a kingdom above all of that. And he's making a point to his followers about that. Their citizenship is not, first and foremost, of an earthly kingdom. It's one of heaven. It's a kingdom that is, is coming here in part now, but full one day. And so the point we need to see here is that we're first and foremost citizens of this heavenly kingdom that he is establishing, that rides above all earthly kingdoms, that ties back into the sovereignty of God. Therefore, if I'm a citizen of heaven, everything I do and say as a card-carrying citizen of heaven represents that kingdom. He's not saying we can be politically complacent or, and ignore them or that politics are all that matter. But kingdoms will come, kingdoms will go, but God's kingdom endures forever. So those are three broad brushstrokes that give us perspective. But there's one more really important piece to this beyond the brushstrokes that I think is very important for us when it comes to how do we approach politics. Because the gospel is still in all of us as followers of Jesus being trickled down into all the different parts of our life. And more than answering the question of what in politics, which is important to wrestle through, To the church, I need to preach how we do politics. Because God cares how we politic, if I can turn that into a verb. You see, as as your pastor, I need to bring you to this place. A place where we consider our heart. We have no conversation to have until we've dealt with the heart. And so it takes us to the gospel that transforms the heart. Everything around us wants to pound into our heart fear and chaos and anger. And those things over these months are, could easily lead to division. And division in a church destroys a church. And that's where the tension is. 
What is most important? Jesus always brings us to the heart. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his church. It's near the end for him. He's going to be crucified shortly. And some of the things he prays here, the disciples are overhearing and they're recorded for us as he prays this, this simple prayer for his followers. His concern, he starts off with in verse 1. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. In other words, what he's most concerned about is the glory of God. God, I'm about to leave. And my desire is that I would glorify you. And then as I've done my work, that it would be magnified or reflected back off of us that we too would glorify God. And then he begins to show us his will. Look at verse 11 as we scoot down through this prayer. He says this, amongst other things he prays, and I am, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, that's us, and I'm coming to you, Father. So, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be what? One. Even as we are one, Father. This is God's will for us. That we would remain one around the person of Jesus. Verse 20. I do not ask these things only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, isn't it great that he's already thinking about us? He's forward thinking about you and I. The ones who will one day believe in him through the testimony. Verse 21. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us. And then look at this. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That there's a higher purpose. Far higher than simply saying, oh, I'll pull this organization called the church together. And, well, it'll be really a neat way. And maybe it'll, it'll do some good things. No, it's the testimony to the world when we remain one around the person of Jesus. That's how people believe. The glory of God in these next 11 months is going to be shown off of us as we reflect with the differences we might have amongst each other, the unity we have with each other. Andy Stanley said something that just went right to the heart of it. Your political candidates will win or lose based on how people vote on a single day in November. But the church wins or loses based on how we treat each other and love each other over every single day between now and then. Wow. This is vital. Unity is expressed in the church. Love that encourages one another with grace and truth Scripture tells us to love one another over and over again. Bear with one another. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. More important than being Republicans, Democrats, Independents, do you love one another? Do you love one another? That's a hard question. Sometimes as you look around, you're like, man, it's just like there's no love, no grace, no 
none of this. And sometimes even stronger with Christians. I mean, we can be so mad about these things, right? We have no right to stand in this place of anger at each other. Nor the world. Jesus described in John 1.14, he's described as the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of what two things? Grace and truth. You see it there on the screen. Jesus is the embodiment of both grace and truth. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are growing up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Truth in love. Not truth or love. Pretty important word change. The truth in love. Those two pieces put together. You might want to be like, I've got the truth. We do that. I've got the love. (laughs) I don't know. Or it's just like all love and there's no truth. He's saying, no, those two pieces go together. Search for the truth that's going to be found in Christ. But proclaim it in love. Otherwise, we become a noisy gong or claiming symbol when it comes to politics. As a follower of Christ, we're first and foremost citizens of heaven. And everything we do and say in every part of our life, does it represent the Father well? Which means in that, consider this. We should be very slow and careful to attach politics to God. Or to claim that what we represent is the thoughts of God. Elevating our thoughts to that point. Being careful. And how we represent the king is vital as ambassadors of Christ. Unity is what Jesus prayed for. It's expressed in love. So if unity is going to be expressed, there's two things I want to tell you. It's going to be expressed in love. As we're the fragrance of Christ, as scripture calls us in everything, that we walk with that fragrance of Christ. Do you smell of the fragrance of Christ or do you smell more of your sin nature? Do you smell of of things that would proclaim how Christ was, truth and love? Or is mocking and disrespecting and anger or selling your soul to something more of what you're marked by? As we go into a political season, a great thing for us to commit ourselves to would be to say, I am making the decision to love my brothers and sisters, especially those who are in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, to love them through this, to disagree without a condescending attitude towards them. I have heard people say, and I've probably been guilty of saying this too, I don't understand how anyone could be a Christian and be a what? You might fill in the blank. If Jesus could have Matthew and Simon the Zealot in the same group of his followers, so can our church. We can do it through the power of Christ in us. And it's one of the ways that it will show God's glory. We're told repeatedly, bear with one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Being active is important. But remember that the real heart change is going to come from the gospel. And this is pointing to the second thing I'm going to mention here in a second. God's strongest words were words to the religious people 
Remember he said this, Jesus, Jesus or it says about him, Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And he spent lots of time with sinners. The gospel gives us the resources to love people who reject both our beliefs and us as people. So let's pray for oneness. Start praying for that. Would you join me in praying for that? Father, make us one so that we could influence this valley. Our kingdom presence has to do with this today. Also, look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. Do you know someone who disagrees with you politically and how can you love them unconditionally? So the second thing, one, we unite around this love that God calls us to. And and second is unity around our mission. Jesus has called his people, his church, to his mission, which is namely seeking and saving the lost, joining him in that process of that. Jesus came to the world to call the lost to himself. Neither party is going to save the world. Neither party are, are just all Satan either or all Messiah either. We need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need in our country and in our world, Jesus to affect hearts and lives and souls. That's what this is all about around us. The Bible presents us as fallen people, including every single leader. We'll never be able to overcome that on our own power. And God sets up kings and he removes kings. And you'll see that in your lifetime. So as a follower of Jesus, it's his mission. What else am I called to? Praying for our leaders. Praying for them. Uh, Not mocking them, but praying for them. Honoring them and less time vilifying them. As one article I read talked about, I thought this was good. Not pressing and being like, God, I know what your will is for this situation impeach him or put my person in the office or whatever it might be, but praying for wisdom for their hearts to be led by him. So praying, being good citizens, doing justice, loving mercy, walking in righteousness and humility before God. But all of that points towards this primary thing of the gospel. We're a people of the gospel with that mission. So I've set this high bar out from scripture in front of us. And I've said, no, we're talking about how we do politics, not what we do with politics, how we do it. And here's the deal. I can't jump over that bar. And neither can you. And that's why we need Jesus. And that's exactly what the gospel is about. A people who can't do the fullness of that, but a a God who gives the power to walk forward in love and in truth And he gives us and supplies for us what we're going to need over these next months. So church, I actually look forward to seeing how this presses us into the heart of God rather than divides us over the next months. What an awesome opportunity it is for the church to glorify God and show who he is to this world as the church stays united around the lamb. And that's what we're about. Father, as we consider this it's a big topic (laughs) and it's hard and there's different opinions in this room on some of these what issues but jesus we're reunited around you and you're the one we love 
And you're the one who provides wisdom to walk in these things. And so, Lord, guide us in that over these next months. And when we walk forward in love, humility, the fragrance of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit overflowing in our lives. Because you love your church and you died at great expense for the church to redeem us. And so, Jesus, may we proclaim it that way. We love you, Lord. You're good. We're excited to talk about what we're going to talk about with church planting here too. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Remember the old saying, can't find it, grind it? Church planting. (laughs) Changing gears. I'm going to invite Matt and Lauren uh, Hayden up, uh, David Edwards and Mark Tabor. They're going to come up and talk to us a little bit about church planting um, and where we're at in that process. It's been a while since we've talked about this to you. And they're going to share why and what's going on behind that and uh, how things are moving forward now. So I'm going to introduce a couple people to you. Most of you know Matt Hayden, his wife Lauren. And uh, they are uh, on staff here. Matt's been associate pastor here for about seven years. And uh, so they've, they're uh, well-known faces. David Edwards, one of our elders. And Mark Tabor, who's been, on this, uh, been an elder before at River of Life and been on this advisory committee as we've launched into uh, church planting. So welcome them. After talking about politics, yeah, there we go. That'll, yes. Woo, they're going to answer all your questions. If you have any questions, talk to David. He would love to. Okay. Yeah, thanks for that, Brian. Um, we are part of the church plant advisory team here. Uh, so it's, it's us and Pastor Brian's been on that and Josh Shively. Um, so we've been doing the work here uh, for the last year and a half. And we're all eager to give this update to you all. Um, and the last time we were here, it was about back in August, uh, a couple things had happened. The church had decided that we were going to hire uh, Matt to be the lead pastor for this church plant. And we were getting ready to send Matt and Lauren off to the assessment center, which is uh, something put on by our denomination uh, within our district. And, um, and I just want to share a name with you all, and that is Kent Sovine. Kent Sovine is... Rob Story's right-hand man in Omaha, who is the coordinator over all the church planting that happens within our district. And so we've been working with him, and back in September, he hooked the Haydens up with this assessment center. Um, And they went off to Ohio, and they came back to us with uh, two thumbs up and a lime green color. And they saw in Matt and Lauren what we see in Matt and Lauren, and that is that they have been well-equipped both with skill and spiritual giftings to be uh, the leads for this church plant. Uh, And although that happened, uh, the church plant was put on pause for a few months. And so I'm going to let Matt go ahead and share that with you. Yes and yes. So a lot of you uh, have had lunches with me or coffees or come over to our house and chat about church planning stuff. And so some of you know a deeper story than, uh, than what I'm able to take time to share today. Uh, and I thank you, each of you, for walking with me and being a sounding board and, and a praying warrior for me in the midst of this. Uh, I'm going to read a quick verse here, uh, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Um, this is this is a heartbeat of of this church plan, and this is part of why I'm still sitting here today and not completely not here. Um, 
It says this, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, te- teaching in their synagogues and pro- proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The last few years for me and Lauren have been one of that, that kind of verse, all, you know, all encompassing things that we'd go to. We'd hear that kind of thing and, and we'd, we'd be desiring like, Lord, gosh, man, we want to have that heart that you have for, for people that don't know you, uh, Jesus, in this valley and, and around the world. And, and Lord, like we see that heart in you and we want to continue to be conformed to that image. And anyways, long story short, uh, as this church, you know, about a year ago or so, we're starting to really go, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do a church plant. Like immediately, Lauren and I were like, oh, like, okay, Lord, what are you doing here? Like, you know, you've been leading our hearts in this direction. Anyways, again, long story short, God called us to lean in. We applied and got hired and then went to the assessment center. And even about a month before going to that assessment center, as you guys confirmed, uh, you know, hey, we're going to hire you and send you off to the district, guys. Uh, I began to, maybe part of my strength is being able to think about things and plan, but this was a major weakness of mine in this particular situation because I began to think that, okay, this is probably going to happen and I'm probably going to do this. And so that means I need to start getting this in line, 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 this in line. And I kept going and I kept going and I kept going. And pretty soon I was in a little tivy. Uh, and it, it wasn't very funny at the time. It was, it was very scary, uh, for Lauren and, and, uh, anyways, long story short through all that time, God was faithful to just continue to give me little things here and there that just kept me on board. You know, there was many times where I was just like, Lord, I want to just throw the towel in. This is too much for me to bear. I can't, I can't do it. But the Lord, every time I came to those corners, it, it would send somebody or something or a text. I, I, I got so many texts at like 3 a.m. from someone from you guys saying, hey, I was just praying for you. I'm like, oh, Lord, okay, you just gave me another push ahead in, in this. Anyways, I'm rambling, uh, but that's okay. Uh, so as me and Lauren came back from this assessment, we were almost hoping that the assessment would just say, dude, you're not gifted for this. You don't have any abilities in this, so just get out of the game. And I would have been, okay, thank you. Um, kind of. I, I would have been kind of bummed too. Um, and uh, so when they gave the kind of the green light, I was like, oh, man. So anyways, it's just been, it's been a wrestle, guys. I, I'm, I'm being just a humble, honest person. You know, as one of your pastors, you know, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not, a, I'm not Jesus. Uh, that's why we're in this together. That's why we need community around us. That's why we've had community around us and friends that have been right along praying with us and, and uh, sharing life and doing things with us through, through this time. And, uh, but we're, we're here to say that we're continuing to step forward. We're continuing to go forward. We're trusting that Jesus uh, and his mission, that, that he's called us to join in with his mission. And he's called us specifically to, to dig a little deeper into what that mission looks like for us. It's, it's a lot of changes for, for me personally in, in things. Sure, I think I am gifted in some things and I have the abilities, but I haven't lived and been in that kind of a rhythm of a, of a lead pastor um, ever, obviously. And uh, so it's just, it's, it's intense. It's good. It's scary. Uh, but we, faith ultimately is a choice. 
And so we are just making our choice. We're putting our foot down, and we're continuing to move forward with the church planning. Um, and so Mark's going to share some of the – well, before he shares, could, could I just ask you guys, as you continue on, uh, you know, as our, as our body here, um, we would just covet your prayers. Um, you know, the enemy does not want this church plant to happen. That's just uh, – that's the bottom line. And he'll use fear, he'll use discourage, he'll, he'll use anything. And uh, just pray for our minds to be set on his, that we might fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author, he's the perfecter of our faith. And it was joy that was set before Jesus to, to do what he did in dying for us. And, and he calls us to pick up our cross and die, and that we might find life. And uh, so we're trusting Jesus in that as we move forward with this. And uh, so what does that look like? I could share a lot, but I'm going to let Mark kind of share what, what does that look like now that we're moving forward with this. We're starting to implement some things. What does that look like to the coming months? Well, the good part of this um, is that uh, we're not just saying, okay, Matt, go figure it out. It's all you, but it's uh, like-minded people who are coming alongside with the same kind of call same kind of uh, heart. Um, so the next steps in this is Matt and the advisory team will be working on assembling uh, what's called the core team. And that's a, a, a group of folks that are called and committed to the church plant for the long haul. Um, there's not a set number of that, you know, 15-ish, be like a big journey group kind of thing. But folks who, uh, who really feel led to be a part of this, uh, to bringing the gospel to the lost in our valley, to having a heart for the lost. And as we assemble together for a season, there's no set time. Um, we'll be discipling one another. We'll be praying a lot. Um, we will be helping to establish, as through God's lead, the DNA of this church plant, um, what he is putting on our hearts in, in, in ways to reach the lost, and so on and so forth. Spending a fair amount of time together every week. Um, and, and as that group uh, really, really begins to bond and, and unify, as we've heard, you know, Brian talk about this morning, then uh, more folks will come, come alongside in what's called the launch team. And as that, that name implies, that's uh, when the church is, is closer to becoming more public. And, and these are the folks that are going to help the core team uh, really implement the strategies and, and structures of, of a new church in our valley. So that's, that's where we're, we're headed next. Um, it'll be an exciting time. And, you know, and if you, if you feel, honestly feel called and led to be a part of this core um, or launch, please come talk to us. Um, pray through that. Um, anyway, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's, uh, it's what, what's so exciting is, is, God has calling this church, River of Life, and, and, and others to, uh, to bring his message of reconciliation. We see that in our foyer. That is our heart. And be praying for the core team. Be praying for Matt. Be praying for, be praying for the people that are in this valley, your neighbors, your coworkers, that God uh, is already working on. He's out ahead of us. Um, just pray. Pray for them that they will find the living water. They'll find their Lord and Savior, Jesus, through this plant. So there we go. Yeah, a couple of things before we wrap up. Um, you know, Matt and Lauren have been real honest and upfront with the elder team 
uh, throughout the past few months, and your elder team still stands with them and has a lot of confidence in them. So I just wanted to say that as being uh, the elder overseeing that. Um, also, we have a prayer team. The church plant prayer team has been meeting and will continue to meet uh, after second service, the first Sunday of every month. Everyone is welcome to that. Uh, Colin and Janelle Miller uh, lead and facilitate that, but you're welcome to just show up. Uh, we would love to have you just come along this team and pray for the church plant. Again, that's the first Sunday of every month after second service. They usually meet in one of the back rooms. But uh, if you wander around, I'm sure that you can find them in case they're not in one of those back rooms. Um, also, you know, like uh, Mark said, if God has stirred your heart about this church plan, we'd love for you to come talk with any one of us. Um, and we'll be up here after the service ends here as well. So you can come find us. Um, yeah, and then finally... We're here to join God in his mission to reconcile the lost here in the Grand Valley. Um, that's what we're here to do. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and pray and uh, invite Pastor Brian back on up. Heavenly Father, we sit here humbled before you, God, our King. I, I just pray that uh, you would go before this church plant, that you would go before this body, River of Life. Um, as we learn and grow in loving you and loving the people in this valley. Uh, may that just be our passion that we would just be so full of your love. Um, God, we do pray for your wisdom. Um, give us wisdom as we continue to take steps forward out into the Jordan River. Uh, and we also pray uh, that you would just send angels, God, um, protect us from spiritual attack. Lord, be with this body. Uh, may we bring you lots and lots of glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.